Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin. Today is Saturday, August 25th. So what's up, everybody? Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I've got my older brother, Jonathan, who is a diehard Cardinals fan. And this is a fun one, me being a Cubs fan, both of us being from Carbondale, Illinois, and that is only about two hours from St. Louis and five hours from Chicago. So it's a tough place to live if you're a Cubs fan because you're around a lot of Cardinals fans. And as we know, up until 2016, really even up until now, that's not been an easy thing. It's been a rough struggle. It's been a fight. We go to war year in and year out, and it's no different because the St. Louis Cardinals are only like two and a half games back from the NL Central lead. So this was a fun one to record. We go back and forth a little bit, so listen up as we talk really all about baseball. It's not just a Cubs-Cardinals conversation, but we talk about everything going on in baseball. We literally planned none of this. We just got on the phone and started talking baseball. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Greatest Show on Dirt. And here is myself, Quentin, and my older brother, Jonathan, the Cardinals fan. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin, and on today's episode, my brother Jonathan is on the show. What's going on, big brother? Not much. I'm just uh, sitting here bathing in some salsa (laughs) on the Cardinals. Listen, I got to tell you in my head, I had it envisioned that you were going to record the podcast with me all season long, but as the season got towards October, that you would have to get on the podcast and talk about, you know, how the Cubs were going to win the division. And at that point, the Cardinals would be out of contention because the Cardinals weren't having a good season. And then all of a sudden, Adam Wainwright plants a garden, like the great friend that he is, for Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter uses said garden to produce salsa. And here's the situation we're in, man. <laughs> and the, the salsa will probably be on the banned substance list to Major League Baseball for next season. It 100% um, has to be. I don't know what they put in <laughs> it. I don't know what they put in that salsa, man. Oh, yeah. This, I had you pawn it tomatoes and who knows what else. I know. <laughs> Dude, I read an article on like Bleacher Reporter, SB Nation or something where like a couple writers dug into all of Matt Carpenter's social media pictures and did their absolute best to determine what was in the salsa because nobody knows how he makes it. They just <laughs> <laughs> they've stalked him online figuring out, OK, what's on the counter? OK, that's what we think it is. And so I've got a recipe for it. That's like what people think that it might be. So I'm wondering if we need to sneak some of that into the Cubs dugout and give it to Tyler Chatwood because he can't stop walking people. I'm not really too sure. So, yeah, he was. No, I thought I really thought Chatwood would be their best pitcher this year at the beginning of it. No, I didn't think it'd be Darvish. I thought Lester would be pretty good. But I thought Chatwood would be their surprise guy. I wanted Michaelis. Um, uh, hands down, I wanted Michaelis after I saw him bite the head off the lizard. But Michaelis had good stats in Japan, and that's who I wanted. And when they signed Chatwood, I was like, I don't really know who that guy is. And then when I saw the movement on his pitches, I was like, two thumbs up. Like, we're good, you know? Yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, Lizard King is a cardinal. He'll be there a while. Dude, and he's um, pitching good, man. Pitching he, tonight, too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's. I guess he's probably the ace of the St. Louis Cardinals right now. I mean, I don't, and we'll talk about the Jack Flaherty, Walker, Bueller start, because I stayed up until like 1.30 watching that game, and it's probably one of the best <laughs> baseball games I've watched all season. And since, and listeners, I got to give you a background. So me and my brother, Jonathan, we grew up in the southern part of Illinois, which was two hours from St. Louis and five hours from Chicago. So it is, you've got some heated rivalry stuff down there. I mean, 
it's the type where like these Cubs and Cardinals fans like don't really get along at all. And uh, he's let me have it over the years, you know, like kind of a lot let me have it. But I've kind of done the same thing to you, I feel like. So, um, yeah, and, and your and your problem, you know, you, you had a, a grandpa uh, who would bring a lot of the heat upon you because he he liked the mound. Oh yeah, um, and it never ended well because the no. Cubs were always <laughs> even when they made the playoff, they didn't go anywhere. Yeah, um, but yeah, he was. <laughs> and I still, I have like that. Like if a dog has been abused and they're like real, like shy around people, I'm like that when it comes to Cubs, Cubs baseball. Because, for example, like in 2003, when Mark Pryor was on the mound and the Cubs blew the eighth inning, most, like, meaningful games when the eighth inning comes, like, I cower down. And, like, I'm always a glass-half-empty person with the Cubs because that's just how I grew up. So, for example, Wilson Contreras, his power, it's down a little bit this year. And my first reaction is, watch what happened to Giovanni Soto. He had a great rookie season, and then he just dropped off, you know? And I'm just like the negative Nancy with everything when it comes to the Cubs. Uh, it's a rough deal. Well, uh, it was it was a yeah. Well, it was a hundred years of you know that, and yeah, it's understandable. I know, right? Um, it's just like a learned behavior. It's like Pavlov's dog, you know, that's like salivating at the mouth when the bell rings. And I'm like the eighth inning, and then I'm like, we're gonna lose, <laughs> and it's just not gonna work for any yeah. of us. That's why they they came up with you know like I don't know how many times I heard Grandpa. You're like, wait till next year. Wait until next you year. Had wait until to. next year. You had nothing <laughs> else. I mean, you just drink old style beer, which is probably some of the worst tasting beer in the world. It's an instant headache. But, you know, what better way to drown your sorrows in than disgusting beer that's just going to make you hurt even worse? Because that's what you want to well, do when you're the, hurt. You want to hurt more. Well, the, the, I guess the pain in the head outweighs the pain in the heart. It you does. Know, it does. <laughs> it, it's, for example, like if you hurt your arm and a buddy's like, hey, do you want me to take your mind off the pain? And then they punch you right in the junk. Like you're not thinking about your hurt arm anymore because you just got hit in the balls. That's basically what it is, man. Um, okay, so let's talk. And well, I'm going to tell you this right now. Number one. If you tell me that Harrison Bader is the next David Freeze, I'll hang up on you for real. You did. You did. And I'll yeah. end this podcast um, right now. I don't care, man. So I said, and this is how it's going to go. You know, the, the, the Cubs and Cardinals will meet in the playoffs. I can't wait. Harrison Bader's, the Harrison Bader's are a David Freeze. Dude, <laughs> he will. But do you want to know what, man? Like, I hope it does. If it happens, I'm going to cry, man. I don't know what I'll do. I'll find Harrison Bader and cut off his beautiful hair. The guy's got some salad coming out the back of that hat. But I got to tell you something about Harrison Bader, man. He's already racked up. Because Harrison Bader, how long's he been an everyday player? Oh, he just... Uh, this was... He's not even... I mean... I guess you could argue before the before the All Star break, whenever everybody started, you know, whenever the owner got that flack for comments on Fowler and everything else. Yeah, I remember and, that. Um, but but you know, even then, they're basically rotating four guys. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one who wasn't ever coming out was Osuna. Um, but you know, they yep. they ended up having to get rid of Fam to make room for him because he was too good to rotate out every couple games. Um, he needed to be an everyday player. Um, and then even having Munich, Munich to say his name, uh, Munich as uh, as well. I mean, he's he's a good fifth, fourth, fifth outfielder. Um, Dude, he's bad, like two eighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not bad. I mean, he's yeah. a he's a decent guy to come off the bench. He's adequate defensively. Um, but when you've got people like which we we Tyler O'Neill, we know we've got power there. 
Um, yeah, and then when his, the, his old man was, was a Canadian bodybuilder. His dad was yeah. a Canadian bodybuilder. He's jacked out of his mind. Um, but Osuna's not going anywhere. You no, know, he he's got a good bat. He's he's Gold Glove winner. Um, but when you have O'Neill and you've got Bader, Bader playing as good as he is, it was just fam was on borrowed time. Um, I, I really don't think they necessarily wanted to trade fam, but you can't move Fowler with his contract that big. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's hurt. Um, so fam was the only one you could move cause you had to make room for it. Yeah. Um, you had to make room for O'Neill. Um, eventually, um, but O'Neill's got that chance now, um, with Fowler hurt. Um, but you know, Bader's probably played half the games. If you look at the, those, those tough catches, um, I did, yeah. where you, it, you know, if you look at everybody on that list, he's played almost half the amount of games as, or innings, let's say innings, as some of those people on that list. That's what it was. He um, was first – Harrison Bader, the last time I checked was last week, he was first in defensive runs saved, and the guy that was second played 240 less innings than him. I'm not Einstein. That's a lot of games. And even on top of that, for baseball reference defensive war – all of the talk recently has been Colton Wong and his defense, and now he should get the gold glove at second. And Lorenzo Kane has been, like, mentioned in MVP talks right now. But the guy that leads the whole entire National League in defensive war, I kid you not, it's Harrison Bader. And he's mm-hmm. only been a part-time player recently. That's un- it's unreal. I- it shocked me. I only knew that today, and I was just messing around on baseball reference uh, looking at, like, uh, players' nicknames and stuff like that. And I was like, what in the world? Like, he's on another level with what he does. Yeah, it's, you know, and he honestly deserves that gold glove. Um, 100%. But, you know, it's, but because of his rookie status being somewhat unknown player, because, like, Bleacher Report just discovered him last week. Yeah. You know, like, hey, this is the best guy you never heard of. Like, really, you're just now getting to figure out who Harrison Bader is? Yeah. If you watch the Nationals game, well, that was last week as well, right? Or was it earlier this week? No, I might have um, – last week, I think. Last week. Last week yeah. You know, the Nationals like, who, who are these? You know, these, these Cardinals have outfitters <laughs> that know? nobody's heard of, and they're making catches. Tyler O'Neill was even making catches. But Bader Dude. was outstanding, and the Washington Nationals announcers were just – just gave up, like, who are these guys? Yeah, like, you know, Nobody's heard they? of them, and they are, they are fantastic. What's what happened, um, man? They traded Tommy Pham, and everyone was scratching their heads like, what the hell? Like, why do you get rid of Pham? Because, uh, like, in the offseason, MLB Network does all those, like, offseason ratings. Tommy Pham was rated, like, their first or second best center fielder in all of the National League and, like, a top ten in all of baseball. So when you trade him away, you're like, I don't get it. I didn't at all. I was shocked. I had Tommy Pham on my fantasy team, and I was like, dude, you traded my guy to the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, what's that going to do for him? But – yeah, for sure. I saw that uh, you sent me on Twitter the uh, broadcast with the Nationals, and they were like, who are those guys? And I thought the same thing because I thought Tyler O'Neill was a better prospect than Harrison Bader because Tyler O'Neill caught my eye with, like, 600-pound squats. And I was like, oh, yeah. that guy, what's up with that? And Harrison Bader, like, I hadn't really ever heard of. But, like, I know on the back burner, like, coming into the season, like, you had heard O'Neill, Bader, and then this guy named Patrick Wisdom that I think they brought up now. And... They're doing like some crazy things with uh, players, and it seems like players are coming up earlier. Like there are a lot of young guys in the league right now, and I really like it for baseball. It's so fun to watch oh, right now. It, it is, you know, the the new style coming in, which, which, well, before we go on to that, um, I don't know how long your phone saves text messages, but if you go back into April, 
I was talking about Harrison Bader being that outfielder. That oh, Fowler was on borrow time, I, and Bader was that guy coming in. Yeah, um, back in April, I believe. Um, that. Just from watching him in spring training, I thought he was so fast. He was hitting the ball well, um, and defensively, he. I mean, he was making plays that Fowler wouldn't get to. He was catching with ease just because yeah. he could get under the ball and run so fast. Um, you could just know he was the future. But as far as the young guys coming in, they're. Even the pitchers, everybody is so strong now. Um, the Cardinals have like athletes, people who would normally be playing football, but football is losing some of their talent to baseball now, yep. I believe. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's why you have so many good pitchers who are throwing ninety five plus um, when they're twenty two years old and just being unhit, nearly unhittable. Uh, but you've also got extreme talent like Harrison Bader, who could be a wide out. <laughs> He's he fast, could be that dude. guy that that, that uh, you know Tom Brady would love to have him now. <laughs> yeah, he's like a, he's like a little Julian Edelman out there. He ran so hard to get a baseball. I think like on the uh, like the Tuesday night Dodgers game, he was coming in so fast. Like I thought he was going to run past it, and then when he caught the ball, he looked like Bo Jackson running into the tunnel on Monday Night Football. Just these big old legs, just boom, 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 just a moving man. Well, and then there's a, there's a lot of games, um, which O'Neal ran into him twice. I guess you're not used to playing with a center fielder <laughs> that fast. That. I said Tyler um, but, O'Neal's you know, a meathead, man. Yeah. He's a, don't run into him. Please. <laughs> yeah. Stay away. Yeah, yeah, and he ran into Colton Wong the same game. Oh, poor Colton. <laughs> you need that glove. Dude. Okay. But here's the thing, you know. When when Bader's or sorry when O'Neill's playing outfield in AAA, he's not used to playing with people this fast. No, and this that's ground. the thing. You think that's um, your territory, and you don't think the center fielder is going to be like way over here in right center, like in your territory. Like, I get it. I got you. Got the right away, pal. But you're as fast as Derrick Rose in his prime. What do you want me to do? Like, I can't help that. <laughs> like, what yeah. do you want me to do, man? But, but you know, you look at I was even you know uh, this past week too, and you watch he'll, he'll get into Osuna's territory, but Osuna's got that game experience, and he clears out of the way. He knows. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Bayer's fast enough to cover your part of the field too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, but no, I, I love the young guys with the power they're coming in, whether it be pitching or hitting. Um, mm-hmm. Which I know a lot of a lot of older guys, whether it be Koufax and and, and all these uh, Johnny Bench, they get out here. This isn't the game I'm used to. There's too many strikeouts, these home runs. Um, it's it's the game is different. They're, they're looking at it negatively. Yeah. Um, from a fan perspective, yeah, you can't judge. Well, you can't judge this. Strikeouts are insanely high, but I'd rather go see a game where the pitcher strikes. Out. Look, look at Bueller and Flaherty. Between the two of them, they struck out 19 people mm-hmm. in a, a, an average of six and a half innings apiece. 19 people. Um, you know, it's but when you see all these guys hitting these home runs too, the home runs and the strikeouts, that's what makes the game exciting. It's it's I'd rather see a strikeout than somebody ground out to short <laughs> and you know, he's out, grounded out to the young. Um the strikeouts and home runs are exciting to me. Um than people just, you know, trying to hit those ground balls through the gaps and you know, um even though there's a now you can make an argument what's exciting to see somebody try to get three or four hits to score that run and just one hit, one run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think there's anything, I don't think it's damaging the sport at all to have um, guys striking out this much if, if they're hitting those home runs because the fans love home runs. Oh, yeah. Um, and we love strikeouts and, too when Garrett Cole comes out and strikes out 14 guys like opening for the yeah. Astros. And you're right about that game. I stayed up till I stayed up and watched that whole Flaherty Bueller game and there was no offense to speak of, but you saw not only great pitching, but you saw these young kids. And that's where a lot of sports go. So like when you watch basketball or when you watch football, 
you're excited to see these young kids come out of college and see what they could do. And baseball's never had that. They hold their guys like mm. Vlad Guerrero Jr. He should have been playing in June. He's about to bat 400 all season in the minors. That hasn't been done in forever. Like he should no. be up. Yeah. But the Blue Jays are holding him back because they want that year of control. I'm, I 100% agree with you. Like, it's not the home runs. It's the strikeouts. It's none of that stuff is what it is in the game because fans are going to love, like, what you set up and tell them to love. Like, for example, wrestling's fake, but people love it. When me and you were growing up, like, we're opening up WWF wrestling figures for Christmas. Like, that's fake, but we love it because, like, they sell it, right? Like, you set up mm-hmm. these storylines and all this stuff. I wish there was more of a storyline when, like, the Nationals were still in contention. I don't feel like MLB did enough to promote, like, this storyline like you would get, like, in WWF with, like, Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold. Like, I feel like that story should have been promoted way more. You've got the league focusing on the negativity, like you said, talking about the strikeouts. And, like, that's what makes this all this news. But in the time, like, with that hot air that they're blowing out, like, we should have been setting up after the All-Star break, after one of the best home run derbies we've ever seen with Bryce Harper winning it. Oh, yeah. Setting up this, like, plot and telling this, like, crazy story of can the Nationals do this because here's all they got and they're these underperformers because – that's how you tell a good story, right? Every movie you've ever watched is like you've got a good guy and a bad guy, and the good guy's got like all the odds against him. Like, let's paint that picture because that's what's made all those historic Cardinals World, World Series victories so fun to watch. Not for me, but for some people. I don't know who those weird. I don't know who those crazy people are. But like, that's what, right, what makes the great baseball. It's like the young David Freeze who you don't know does something he's not supposed to do, and so like. these young players coming up, man, it's so good for baseball because they're new faces and they're not supposed to do this stuff. And I wonder at some point if Major League Baseball, they need to pull some of this business aspect out of it and saying, well, we don't pull him up when we're 19 because we make money off our single A, double A, and triple A teams. And we've got to have, you know, a certain amount of control over Vlad Guerrero Jr. That's what's getting in the way of it, man. There's so many commercials on MLB Network. If you were to turn on your TV nine out of ten times to MLB Network, it would already be on a commercial. Yeah, and, and then and with the yeah, Vlad definitely should have been up. I think there was oh, a yeah. few, no, there was, other than the control because they had they could have had the you know the extended control after was it April fifteenth or whatever whatever that date it, was. It's not long yet. Um, yeah, um, but one and I did want to get him some uh, fielding experience in AAA. Okay, because it's just not about hitting; it's about the fielding. But I really think the reason they delayed him, and I think they're going to delay. I don't think we'll see him at all this year, mm-hmm. is because they are hoping that Josh Donaldson. Well, I think it's too late now with the the waivers, um, but I think they were hoping to move Donaldson. Yeah, get him healthy, get him playing, so they can go. Hey, this guy still can play ball. Who wants him? And then if they would have been able to get Donaldson and move him, Guerrero would have been up here playing. Yeah. Um, but they were really hoping Donaldson would have got back on the field so they could try to trade him to somebody like the Cardinals who wouldn't take him down so they don't need him. But at yeah. the time, they probably would have, they probably would have bit um, to get him. Um, but oh, yeah. I, I think that's what Toronto was trying to do, was trying to move the old guy out and get something for him um, before they brought Guerrero up. That makes um, sense. But uh, be a Guerrero, we will see Guerrero next year, and he will probably have an Acuna-like year um, from the plate. Um, I do, yeah. I'm excited to see that guy. I mean, the numbers he's put up in triple, like he's dominating those guys. And he's he's a young kid. Is he 19 still? How old is he? 
Uh, he started the season 19. I'm not for sure if he's turned 20 yet or not. Okay, he so he's 20 times. And, dude, it's that stuff, man, that's just making this baseball so good. Because, like, to me, man, right now, and I know we've talked about this too, baseball is beyond fun to watch with all these young kids coming up. Like Acuna Jr., he, would he hit a leadoff home run in five straight games? And then missed, missed like three games. Then hit then he's hit the last two games. He's hit home runs again. Yeah, streak again. He's on fire. And I know we had this conversation through text about like I think you're thinking that the uh, the Braves are going to win that division, right? Um, I, I still think the Braves will get it. Um, they're, yeah. they're, 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 that was basically I was picking before everybody was on them. At the beginning of the season, everybody was thinking Dude. the Mets had it. Primo on um, you, man. You were in the minority for sure because I thought when um, the Braves had all those penalties on them that they were done. I didn't know that they had all these studs. Oh, yeah. Their, their minor league system was the – which, I mean, there's some good – Tampa Bay's got a good one. Yeah. St. Louis. You know, I was impressed with St. Louis, especially with the pitching. Dude, they um, always have good Atlanta, pitching. Atlanta had the bats. And so they their pitching. Their pitching, actually, I thought would be – the pitching's what's scaring me with Atlanta. Um, if they lose, if Philly catches them, chases them down, it's going to be because Atlanta's pitching staff collapses. That'll be a hundred percent it because Philly's got two good pitchers because they've got Arietta with proven postseason success, and mm-hmm. then they've got Aaron Nola, who I think should be the NL Cy Young. Probably not a popular opinion, but I love it. Um, but then, yeah, then with the the Braves, like you've got some veteran bats in the lineup, like Freeman and Marcakis, but then you've got this young pitching you got to fall back on and. Sean Newcomb, I think, like, he's regressed a little bit. Like, he's not a bad pitcher, but nobody knows what, like, Sean Newcomb's going to do or Mike fulton like, yeah. when the postseason comes. They could easily get shook in a situation like that when you go against a team. Like, yeah. the, the, the Cardinals and the Cubs, like, the Cardinals, to me, at this point, are the Yankees of, the, of like, the National League. Like, I don't know if they've got enough to win the division, but, like, they're your first wildcard team, hands down. Um and then the second wild card team, I guess, would be maybe the Phillies or the Brewers. I don't know. Well, yeah, the, the, the well, and I would if the Brewers would have picked up Harvey, like they thought they were going to be able to do today, which didn't work out. Um, I would say there's your wild card team for sure. Um, with all the other trades they had done before the deadline, yeah. they were going to be that. They were going to make the playoffs. The, the NL Central was going to have three teams in postseason play, dude. Yeah. Um, which all those three teams are still capable of doing it. Yeah. Um, but you, but the Phillies, the Phillies or the Braves, I still think there's a chance the Phillies run the Braves down. Yeah, um, me but too. the Phillies, are, the Phillies and the Braves will be there. Um, Cardinals, Cubs, and then we. Um, oh, who, who am I missing here? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. Everybody, yeah. Phillies, Braves, <laughs> Cardinals, Cubs, and then I guess the Diamondbacks will probably win the NL West. Uh, oh yes, yes. Sorry, I that's could, what I it looks think, to yeah. be the case. I knew, I knew it was missing the division there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they've they've the Dodgers. Dodgers after getting swept by the Cardinals, they're. I think that just took the steam out of them. They're not going to be able to get that wild they card. They just are what they are at this point. They've kind of been one of those situations to where you are always like waiting for them to turn the corner. They're kind of like the Nationals, but above 500. And this whole season, I'm like, okay, they're going to turn the corner. They're going to do it. But like, it's just not going to happen with that offense. Like Chris Taylor didn't have the year that he had last season. So like, you've kind of lost that bat. Matt Kemp came out to a hot start this year and he's cooled off. So, I mean, they, they just are what they are and they're going to finish the season by about five games above 500 and, they won't do. Yeah, it. they got they got off to a horrible, horrible awful, start. Awful, man, awful. Um, Turner was hurt early. You lost Seager. Um, injuries did him in this. Kershaw year. got um, him for and, sure, and, and so and he missed just, time again. Yeah, you just couldn't. I mean, it was injuries. I mean, if they you know, 
if without those injuries, they probably would win ten. There would have been ten more wins yeah. by this season. Hundred percent. Well, Kenley Jansen's yeah. been off too. Kenley Jansen blew two saves, gave up three home runs in two innings against the Cardinals, and Kenley Jansen's been unhittable the past two years. I mean, unhittable to the point where if he comes in to close out a game and your team's losing, just shut the TV off and go to bed. It, it was that automatic. And it's, yeah, it's not um, that anymore as well. So, And they lost Brandon Morrow, of course, to the Cubs, who's actually injured right now. He's got like a bicep problem or something. But hmm. did you but, yeah. watch any of the – go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, I was going to ask you, um, keep the conversation on Acuna and the uh, hit pitches. Yeah. Specifically the Marlins. Um which I had, uh, everybody knows the first pitch now, um, suspensions handed out to the Marlins pitchers, what, six, six games, I believe. Six games. So it um, means he'll lose about one start out of that situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it could, yeah, it could be two, um, depending on if he has off days or not. Um, but uh, then you had the second hit, which was what just last night, right? It was last night. Yeah, um, I didn't watch that game last night, but my, um, I, I, I did. I went and I, I watched the hit four times. Watched that. Watched the whole bad bat. Mm-hmm. Um, this was not the first pitch. Um, the pitcher was working him out, you know, down and away, up and in. Uh, put a couple over the plate that uh, Acuna just missed or fouled off. Mm-hmm. Um, but Acuna's down 0-2. There's not a single ball on the guy yet. He's got two strikes about five or six pitches in. Um, pitcher goes in high and inside again, hit. Um, you know, my, my, before I watched them, I'm like, okay, they had to do this one on purpose. They're sending a message. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, so. Like we, lo- we lost our pitcher to suspension because we hit you supposedly on purpose. We're never going to hit you on purpose. But I'm watching it work. I'm not so sure if that was the case. You mean the, on the, the second hit? The second one. Yeah, the ball was high and in and really not that far over the plate. Acuna had his head over it because you know, he's, he's, he's pretty tight on the plate. And mm-hmm. just he, he twisted his body, but he didn't move back. Um, and I'm like, man, I don't know if that one was on purpose even because it was. And then I started looking at, like, where does it, why are they pitching him high and in? And looking at out of his, he's, Acuna has, let me make sure I got the right number here. Um, of course, if they, he's, he's already hit tonight. Um, this may not be up today, but 84 hits on the year. He has hit. Out of all the pitches thrown high and inside on the corner of the plate, he's only hit. He only has one hit. Mm-hmm. He's had 51 on that corner of the plate. He's one from 51. He can't hit that pitch. On um, pitches that are off, you now where they where they go a little bit h- outside of that, not out of the strike zone, high and inside. He's seen 134 pitches. He's hit three of those. So you're looking at out of nearly 200 pitches, he's only connected on four that are high and inside. And they're just now starting to throw him high and inside because they realize this guy who's hot with the bat can't hit the mm, ball there. Yeah, okay. Um, and he's also not hitting down and away. Um, he's only hit the ball seven times down and away in the strike zone. So they're working him down and away, high and in. And as he tries to guard the high and away, he's because they're throwing him high and away, or sorry, low and away, low and away. Mm-hmm. He's trying to reach out over the plate. They throw him high and inside. Well, he got hit twice, you know, and they were bad pitches. But I'm not sure if they're doing this on purpose or if it's just strategy to try to shut down one of the arguably the hottest hitter in baseball right now. Oh yeah. And if you don't want to still say that to Matt Carpenter, if it's just the these are the two places he can't hit the ball and his exit velocities. Even if when he does do it, 
is about 23 miles per hour. Well, one of them is 23. <laughs> the other one is 27 miles per hour lower. So yeah. if he makes contact, the exit velocity, which is 100 miles an hour, if you hold it over the plate, he's down to 73. That's a ball you can catch. You can't argue that. Um, that was my, yeah. And, and, and uh, all the pitches thrown high and inside and down in the way, he only has one home run all year <laughs> on that combination of yeah. pitches. High and, away, high and inside, low and away. So, yeah, they're going to work him that way. They're going to throw him low and away, make him get over the plate. And then they're going to throw him high and inside. And unfortunately, you get hit sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking perhaps this is more of a strategy. And we're going to see other teams do it because the Marlins have, uh, to, you know, analytically have caught on to something. Mm-hmm. He can't hit the ball there. And I think other teams are going to do it, too. And it'll be interesting to see if he starts getting hit more um, because they, they're going to work him the way that the Marlins did. But um, then again, you know, the Marlins have their pitchers aren't the best and they're not the most no. accurate, no. Um, but you, but you get, you put it up against somebody like Jack Flaherty or Walker Bueller, um, Max Scherzer, um, they'll wear him out on oh, this yeah. down the way. And they won't hit the guy. They're going to strike him out because he cannot hit these pitches. Yeah. Those guys are, they're pitchers, man. They're not throwers. They're not just rearing back and letting a rip. And Jose Urena is that guy, man. He hit three Cubs in the first inning on opening day. He's a guy that comes out early in a game. He's super anxious. Like he, he's not a mm-hmm. first inning guy and he's not a control guy, but he can also throw a ball hard. And you're hundred percent right on that. You got all these guys, you have to go inside. Like how many times did Jeff Bagwell break his hand to the point where he had a batting glove on it with like three inches thick of padding on it. Aaron judge is on the disabled list right now because he took one off the hand or the wrist because that's what they would do to judge. Like that's what you do with a guy that can hit power. You got to, you have to attack him high and then like, that's just what you do. And I mean, that sort of stuff happens. I know like Javi Baez, the time Urena hit him on opening day, he got hit like on the hands and like audibly like was like, Oh, because like they popped him hard. Mm-hmm. And Man, that first hit, I know me and you talked about it a lot through text. I don't I don't think it was on purpose. And I got properly roasted on Twitter and Facebook because people were like, you're stupid, man. And I was like, Bob, watched, like, not a lot of people have probably watched Jose Urena pitch, right? Me and you, we're a couple weirdos that watch baseball in our spare time, and we'll even watch Marlins games. Like, I get that, like, you might not know how he pitches, but, like, that's just... Like, I don't think it was on purpose. And I was real irritated because it goes back to like marketing the game and talking about the game positive. And the second Acuna got hit, the announcers were just ready to go down on the field Mm -hmm. and punch Jose Arena. One of the announcers literally verbatim was like, if I could go down there now. And that fires everybody up. And then all these guys are writing these news articles that he's coward and he's spineless and this and that. And like toxic masculinity. That was my favorite term I've seen. I'm like, seriously. (laughs) What? He is not the only pitcher who struggles with control for sitting. This is common. The Cardinals have two former all-stars, Carlos Martinez, Michael Walker, who are historically known to have control problems first inning. Yeah. Once they get past it, they settle down. But that's not. This isn't uncommon for pitchers to be a little jittery no. and lack control in the first inning. Yeah, yeah. Especially in a game where to like to be a pitcher and succeed, you have to throw heat. So like Greg Maddox didn't have to throw a baseball as hard as he could. Jack Flaherty's not going out there and throwing a baseball as hard as he can, and neither is John Lester. But like a lot of these younger guys that make a name for themselves, like that's all they have. Like they've got to come in with the velocity because it's at 97, 98 that got him into the league. So is Jose Urena out there like going all out? A hundred percent he is. So you can't really be mad at him and say, uh, well, if you can't throw inside, then don't do it. If you don't have that kind of control, because like, that's what you want out of him. Like literally it's like they told Charlie Morton when he went, when he got to Houston, throw as hard as you can. 
And then all of a sudden now he's like this new pitcher and he's throwing as hard as he can. Like, I don't, I don't think it was on purpose, man. I'm like you, the second hit, no, like I'm kind of no. up in the air where I could see it not being on purpose because it makes a hundred percent. You want to win a baseball game, no matter. Like if you're Jose Urena playing for like one of the worst teams in baseball, you still want to win the game, right? So like we, we want to look back at it and say, this game doesn't mean anything. You just hit Acuna on the wrist, but that's not true. Like, I don't care if the Marlins aren't yeah. going to win a game. When you're an athlete, like, you go out there to win a game. So You would like to be employed next year, yeah. A hundred percent. And analytically, I mean, pitch location, that's where you want to pitch him. That's his weakest spot, batting weak. average. You know, and just his exit velocity is the lowest high and inside. Dude, that's where you want to put pitch. Yeah. That's what I, dude, I grew up watching Greg Maddox pitch. So when I would pitch, I would like – you hit the edges of the plate. You don't throw anything down the middle. You've got to throw them something inside or outside, hit the corners of the plate, and do whatever with that baseball you can to get them not to hit it. Like, that's that's what you do. Like, I'm sorry. Next time I'll just throw one over the middle to you, and you can hit it. My apologies. (laughs) What? Like, come on. I don't get it. But, yeah, yeah, I do think it was overblown. And here's the thing. But this is a little – and you can tell this by the all-star voting. There's two teams out there to me that have – their fan, not all their fans, but a lot of their fans have no subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Like, why did Ben Zobris get more all-star votes than Matt Carpenter? <laughs> no, if you don't count that overflow <laughs> that they did this season, like, there's no way. No. You know, but Cub fans are loyal to a fault. You know, every player they got that believes an all-star and should be on that team. And their catcher, they put, they elected him to a starter, even though you're like, there's three other people in the National League who should have started over him, if not four. Um, you know, the Cub fans just vote for their players. They, they, their players are the best players in their eyes. You can't change it. It's like their children. It's like your children. You know, you're going to love them no matter what. And that's what a Cub fan is. Their players are Cub play. The Cub fans are, are going to back Cub players no matter what. The Brave fans are even worse. Um, <laughs> And that is, you know, and you've seen them on, well, you see that the All Star voting team where they're trying to, you know, Acuna had played like, I'm having to guess here, like 18, no, wasn't it? It was more than that. Um, was it was it like 31 games? Or it was like 31 or 41 games whenever he went, got hurt, before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy hardly played at all, and they almost elected him to the All Star game. <laughs> and he wasn't even going, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, really? You know, and they're all the, which Freddie Freeman probably should have been the top vote getter. I'll give him that one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're all, but Dansby Swanson almost made the All Star team. That's Dansby Swanson. To me. That's, that makes almost, <laughs> no sense. He's not good at all. <laughs> you, know, you know, and we're like, really? You know, but Braves fans, you know, they're going to back all their players no matter what. And they went livid on social media when Acuna got hurt. Oh, yeah. They weren't even going to look. At Uranus past or anything nope. else, he was done. The Braves have the most rabid fan base in all of baseball, and they're one of the biggest teams, most well-known teams. And yes, yeah, so Major League Baseball suspended Urania just because he hit perhaps the well, arguably the number two popular player on that team. Actually, he could be the most popular right he now. He could be, yeah. Surprise Freeman uh-huh. um, on one of the most popular teams in baseball, and Urania was on the Marlins. Um, now, if it was Nicholas from the Cardinals, Lester from the Cubs, he would have hit him. They wouldn't have been suspended. No. You know, um, wrong pitcher, hit the wrong batter, mm-hmm. you got suspended so we can make fans happy. Yeah. And to me, that's all that happened there. I think um, so. That was not, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And somewhere um, along the way, baseball has turned into like this non-contact sport. And it's, it's obviously not football and it's not basketball, but like you can't really like touch a guy on second or third without getting like called for interference. Now they're calling guys out for interference if they look like they're out of the baseline. And then every time a batter gets hit, it's like, oh, like what happened? Like was that on purpose? And then it makes all this national news and then that's what becomes like mainstream. So when you talk about like what I've always found is this, when I tell people I record a baseball podcast, they're like, oh, well, I don't really like baseball, but that's cool. You do it. Or, oh, it's fun to watch baseball games live because they serve beer and hot dogs. That's the subtweet in that. But otherwise, like I don't like to watch, you know, baseball or whatever. And a lot of it's because the things that make mainstream news are these things that get blown out of proportion, like hitting a guy in the second base or hitting a guy with a baseball. And I don't know what's happened with it, but Keith Hernandez also got pretty much roasted when he was like, he yeah, if you got a yeah. guy that's hitting, yeah. you got to get one inside off him and back one off the plate. And like, so then people throw out the thing and I'm going to kind of do this analogy here and you tell me what you think of it. Cause it might be far fetched, but it's frowned upon to like go inside on a guy. And then if you accidentally hit him in the ribs, like you're the worst person in the world. But like in basketball, I believe there's intentional contact in football. Like you better believe when guys hit running, like if Jason Witten catches a football in the flat who like a cornerback or defensive back or like linebacker, they're going to try to hit him as absolutely as hard as mm-hmm. they can. And I'm, I'm correct on that. Right. And so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so I don't know what's happened with baseball because all these baseball writers, I guess it's to get likes and shares on Twitter now. Like, they'll write these stories and villainize a guy like Urena when in all reality, like, baseball's a contact sport too. Like, nobody ever mentions Jason Witten getting hit so hard his helmet pops off or, or Tony Romo, like, breaking his back like a couple different times and having a collapsed lung and finishing the game. So I don't know what happens with baseball with like it just because you have all these veterans that are like, oh, baseball's changed so much and they don't like the analytics of it. But a lot of those guys do have points where it's like there's a big difference when Lenny Dykstra played versus now when like someone slides into home plate and we have a five minute review to make sure he didn't hit the catcher too hard. Eh. Yeah. And no, yeah, there's a, um, you know, you don't want somebody like, you know, Pete Rose, Ray Fossey incident yeah. where you just do blatant contact and you in somebody's career in baseball. You don't want to do something no, like that. No, 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 Um, But, you know, and, and was it, it was an Astro. I don't know if it was King Caminiti or which Astro. It could have been Biggio even. Um, that would do some dirty slides in a second. You know, mm-hmm. he'd cleat you right in the groin if you could get his foot up there. Um, you know, there were, so you had some people who would do things like that, just not trying to. But th- you have to. Like you said with the football, you have to allow for a certain amount of things to affect you psychologically because you know, that's part of the game. Yeah, hundred percent is trying to get in somebody's head. You know, um, a a linebacker or a defensive lineman who gets to that quarterback, you know, what? he could probably just wrap him up, and the ref's going to blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. But no, he slams him to he puts him in the ground. Oh, yeah. He wants him to fear that he's going to be hit. Yeah, you know. He, and a pitcher is going to throw you inside sometimes to brush you back because he wants you to be thinking in your head, hey, he may hit me. He's going to throw inside. Yeah. i got to be able to ready to stay back. Well, then you may not be guarding that outside of the plate, mm-hmm. you know, that lower outside part of the plate. Like I think they're trying to work a senior right now that way. Yeah. Um, but there's a psychological part to baseball. 
And that's what a pitcher has to do. The, you know, if you're just going to throw over the plate every time, you know, the bat is going to hit you. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what they expect people to do for Acuna. Um, but you know, you want to get people to swing off pitches outside of that strike zone. And sometimes you have to brush them back so you can work the outside part of the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the game. Yeah. You're going to get hit. Um, and that that's, and sometimes you have to send somebody that message. If you're going to set on that inside corner of that plate, I'm going to hit you back up, you know, otherwise the pitcher's never going to work the outside part of the plate. Um, but yeah, that's just part of the game. Um, batters know that um, if you if you hover over the plate, you will get hit. <laughs> and who you does know? that? Um, Anthony Rizzo hovers over the plate, and he does that as a strategy because he knows pitchers are going to be afraid to hit him. And when he gets hit, Aroldis Chapman hit him in the forearm at like 103 once, and he just mm-hmm. trotted down to first because that's also goes in reverse with the batter. So Anthony Rizzo's like, I'm going to get on top of the plate because this guy's going to be scared to go inside because I know he doesn't want to like hit me in the head or anything. So I'm going to stand yeah. my ground here and get something done. Yeah, and, and you know, and like I said, Rizzo didn't start mouthing, didn't throw his helmet, didn't walk, start walking no. towards the mound because he knows that's part of the game. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm block, I'm owning this part of the plate, and if you, you may hit me, and I'm gonna take my base. Yeah, hey, and listen, you need to have that mentality too. If I oh, get yeah. hit, I'm gonna take my base. Yeah, you know, because I'm standing fairly close to the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's part of the game. Take your base. Oh yeah. You know, um, don't get mad about it because you now the. <laughs> The pitcher wants that part of the plate, too. He's just not going to concede and give it to you. A hundred percent, man. Like, I love what you said with the psychological part of it because there are, like, certain hitters and certain pitchers that have, like, a, a presence when they're on the mound or at the plate. Like, for example, Mark Burley. Mark Burley was a fast worker, and, like, whatever he had with his mound presence, like, it was intimidating. Like, Mark Burley could do that. And, like, I feel like that's what Anthony Rizzo establishes. And, yeah, I think, like, pitchers should be – you know, allowed to establish that and shouldn't kind of, you know, you can't write a story about them hitting someone on purpose when in all reality, they're just playing the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let, let baseball players play baseball. Oh yeah. Um, and, and it's, uh, you know, you, you watch, um, I'm sorry. I, I was watching, that's not who, um, one of the Dodger players, um, Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. You no, know, some people will wear the the protective guards on their arm, mm-hmm. whether it be the forearms or behind that tricep, because that way they bat, the way that they're 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 not going to back off that plate, and they know they can get hit, so they protect themselves. Yeah, you know. So if you're, if you're that worried about getting hit, put on the protective gear that's available to the players. Um, yeah, you, you may have to get used to it in your batting, but you can. Other players play with it, and they do just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's certain batters who. If, especially if you struggle with the inside pitches, they're going to throw you inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're not going to back off the plate, then you need to protect yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like Barry Bonds always wore like a big elbow thing later in his career. And I think when Acuna got hit yesterday, he had something on his arm um, because he knows now guys are going to attack him in because that's a vulnerable spot. Um, but let me ask you something before I forget. Um, Cause you had mentioned like the psychological thing of the game. Um, I had I was talking to someone. Someone was messaging me on Twitter or whatever, like in my comment section about like the electronic strike zone, because I had kind of um, uh-huh. I had expressed a little bit of disapproval about Ben Zobris griping about the strike zone. Yeah, and yeah, someone had commented um, on that and said I'm against an electronic strike zone because that human element of knowing how the umpire is going to call the game goes into like the mental psychological game of the pitcher and the hitter. 
and how like a pitcher might have to adjust during the game and also like kind of stay cool under pressure with like what they're getting. And I thought that was like an excellent take because I had always thought to myself, I don't really care to have an electronic strike zone because I just, I don't, I don't think it's a necessity. Like, I don't think there's anything like super egregious that's ever happened where I'm like, Oh, that can never happen again. But because of like what he said with bringing in like the psychological part of the game, which is huge in any sport you play, like that's, it's good to have like not the electronic strikes on like something that's completely predictable because the second we make sports predictable, you know, the, the whole thing changes and it's just not as fun. But for a pitcher to have to figure out like, okay, what's the umpire going to call and what are they going to call in this situation? And to have to adjust to it goes into being a really good athlete. And that's what makes a really good pitcher, especially is to be able to adjust your strike zone based on what the umpire is calling and mm-hmm. work that strike zone by going inside, going outside. And that's just part of being a great pitcher. Yeah. And, and then even from the, um, the, the batting aspect, you know, it's it, well, you, you've watched enough baseball games and you, the way they've got the strike zone on TV, you know, that those borderline calls go both ways. 100%. Sometimes it goes to the pitcher. Sometimes it goes to the batter. But to me, what, what I like the human element is you don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah. You know, you know, even if you're a batter, who's good enough and you allow that borderline call to go, it could go either way. You can't let that go. No, you because cannot. Run, no run. way. It's hittable. It's hittable anyway. Put the bat You're a on professional it. athlete. <laughs> hit that ball. Absolutely. You know? Um, you know, and to me, that that's what makes it great, that human element. You don't know how it's going to be caught if it's on that edge. And I don't want it to be black and white where you're watching no. on the TV and you got the dump is now useless to you and you're watching it. And you, you want that kind of – it's that suspense. Yeah. Um, where you where you see a pitch go on the edge and and you're literally waiting to see how and you see it in the green and you're looking for the oh he caught the ball you're kidding me yeah, now you get to, now you get to hate the off. <laughs> yeah. you know it's just it's part of the game it's like that you talked about professional wrestling there's people you wanted to hate you know oh, um, yeah like Rick Rude <laughs> I hate but, ravishing Rick Rude like no yeah. But no, I get that it frustrates the players sometimes, but yeah. from the fan aspect of it, you know, it's going to go your way both ways. And it, even if it doesn't go it go your way, um, the fact that it'll get, it'll get to your emotions one way or the other is what makes it great. Dude, you're 100%, um, man. Because if, if you were an electronic strike zone, it just became bland. Yeah. Um, and the excitement's out of it. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the human element to the pitching um, just makes it that much more exciting because, you know, Flaherty and be like when you watch them pitch, those guys can work the corners. Work oh, the edges. Yeah. They all, both of them had great, had their control mm-hmm. going on. And, and you had some of them, it, it, it didn't go their way, you know, like, well, that should have been a strike, but they called it the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the batters know, like you can't let that go. And they were letting it go and it was getting called strikes. <laughs> yeah. Know, those pitchers were on the edge. Um, but I, I think it encourages batters to swing the bat. Um, with that human element Mm -hmm. and granted it may cause more strikeouts, but when we want to see people swing the bat, um, whether it be a strikeout or a home run, cause that's where the excitement is. Yeah. Um, I love to see a guy strike out 100%, especially with pitchers on the mound, just like whiffing guys. Like I'll tell you what that Flaherty Bueller game, like that has to be like a top three baseball game I've watched all season. And there wasn't, you know, there were a lot of strikeouts and not a lot of home runs in that situation. 
Um, but the only run that Flaherty gave up, like, was the home run, right? But to me, like, it was that game. The only hit he gave up. It was, only too. Hit he gave up yeah. the home run. I knew you were going to. I was watching it that night, and I knew you were like, don't text me because I'm going to watch it in the morning. And I was like, dude, if he starts to get no hit, perfect game territory, I'm like, man, he's missing out, dude. Because uh, I was feeling it, it when he came out in the fifth. I was yeah. like, dude. Or he came, or he had five innings of no hit ball. So I think he came, he came yeah. out in the sixth. He got into the sixth. Oh, there is no hit. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man. And this um is going to hurt to say. But what I saw like in Flaherty is what I have seen like all season long with Aaron Hicks. Like these two young guys. Because when you lose a no hitter, especially on a home run you have a tendency to implode and Jack seemed to hold his composure pretty good. And Aaron mm-hmm. Hicks has been in a lot of situations this season where he's uh, been out in the ninth and things haven't went his way. Cause he's not a high strikeout guy, oddly enough. And I actually like that. He's not a high strikeout guy. I love pitchers that can induce contact because I feel like they'll always go out there. They'll, they'll not have to work as hard. And then at that point you'll be able to use them more. So like, for example, like, in the Aaron Nola and Max Scherzer start, Max Scherzer pitched seven innings, gave up two hits, struck out 10, but one of those hits was a two-run home run. Meanwhile, Aaron Nola goes eight innings, gives up no runs, I believe, and also threw like 20 or 25 less pitches. And like Max Scherzer gave up that home run because he was getting tired. So at the end of like the sixth inning, Aaron Nola had nearly 30 less pitches than what Scherzer did because Scherzer's a strikeout guy and Aaron Nola can get, can induce soft contact. Aaron Nola still had nine strikeouts, but he doesn't have to get you on the strikeout. And when I was watching that game, I thought to myself, I was like, well, I'm going to get roasted for this, but if I have to pick a Cy Young winner in the National League, I'm picking Aaron Nola right now because I think he's meant more to his team. And also because of the way Nola's pitched, if him and Scherzer were to both go into the postseason, Nola's going to be way more fresh because Scherzer did not pitch well in the Cubs series in the NLDS because he was so gassed, I believe, because he has to throw so many pitches when he goes out there. And that's one of the reasons why like, I think I like Aaron Hicks because if a guy that's those 105, you're supposed to say, well, he's supposed to strike a lot of guys out. And when he doesn't, you might think something's wrong. But I, and I know um, Mike Maddox, that's a pitching coach of the Cardinals. And I, he preaches that stuff. Obviously, his brother's Greg Maddox. But um, I love pitchers that can pitch to contact. And I don't care how they throw. Um, and so I think for that reason, Aaron Hicks is going to treat him really good in the future. And I also think Aaron Nola should be the NL Cy Young. I mean, Aaron Nola, especially man, it was a head up as you know, he was head to head with the with arguably the best player in the pitcher in the national 100%. league. hundred percent. Maybe in but, all of baseball, even, man. I even, don't know. Even Nola strikes out a fair amount of people Dude, though. He does. I mean, he's he got does. a K per, he's got a K per inning. That, that's oh, yeah. not, that's he not does. bad. hundred percent. I mean, so Nola can strike some people out and his whip is sub one. He's oh, under yeah. one. Um, but no, he's definitely got an argument. He's only one win yeah. behind Scherzer. He is now. They've got they're three tied ERA. Yeah. Um, the only, I mean, Scherzer does have a lower whip and a lot more strikeouts on the year. Yeah. Um, but, but to me, I think Nola may be a victim of the team he's on. If he makes the playoffs, he'll win. If he doesn't make the playoffs, I don't think he's going to win. I think that's exactly um, how it'll be. Young. 
Well, I felt like that with Matt Carpenter, too. I was like, Matt Carpenter will be the NL MVP if the Cardinals make the postseason, which it's looking more and more like it. But I was like, if he doesn't, I don't think they'll give it to him. Because I even, oddly enough, saw Cardinals fans on Twitter like, Matt Carpenter's not an NL MVP. And I was like, what in the world? I swear I saw that from like two or three different people, and I, I didn't really get it. Because so I was like, well, if Javi Baez can be in the case who's not like, you know, the most well-known player on the Cubs, like Matt Carpenter's, I mean, kind of might be like, one of the faces of the Cardinals, I believe, like really popular player. So that confused me. But I think you think Matt Carpenter will win that NL MVP. The I, I don't I don't think he'll get it. Um, you can make a good argument for if Kane makes if the sorry, if the Brewers make the playoffs, Kane's got a strong case. Yeah. Um, but really, I think Scherzer or Nola, whoever gets the Cy Young, you're going to have a hard case saying one of these pitchers mm-hmm. aren't your MVP. I think that's a hundred percent, man. I really do. But um, other than that, you don't have anybody with the bat. Um, and I will um, – the Arnado, what holds him back is his defense is really subpar. Um, he, he's he got some tremendous numbers, but his – I mean, his war is brought down, which last time I looked, which I'm assuming his war is still negative on defense. I haven't looked at it in a while, but he was negative at one point past the all-star break. Mm-hmm. Um, and – and he does play in Colorado, which is automatically going to ding you. It's even though always they hard to get on the yeah. road. Um, but you have Kane and you have Carpenter, who I think you really have to consider as candidates, especially if both teams make the playoffs. If their teams make the playoffs, you've got to consider these guys, especially you've got to take in consideration that Matt Carpenter's first month of baseball was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, he was hitting his, his, he was making contact, but people were catching the ball. He just wasn't getting the breaks. Um, but then the hits started coming. Then the home runs are coming. Like last time, I, uh, as of yesterday, I believe he was four home runs in the National League lead. He had four, a, a pad mm. of four home runs. Okay. Um, and this is with a horrible start that he had. Yeah. Um, but the way he's been playing, the the effect he's had on his team. Because um, it's just not about to me the MVP shouldn't just be about your offensive numbers. Hundred percent, yeah. But you also need to look in. Are you inspiring your team? Because it's a valuable player, not the guy with the best stats. Yeah. You know. So are you inspiring your team? I think Matt Carpenter has done that. Mm-hmm. So his 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 if you want to call it his clubhouse points are off the chart. Yeah. He has inspired that clubhouse behind his got to be the salsa, but he's inspired that an entire team to turn them around behind his hitting streak. And now the whole team is playing well. And that's because they've just followed suit with Matt Carpenter. Uh, yeah. Um, so if the Cardinals make the playoffs, Carpenter's got a strong chance of winning. Same, same way with Kane. Cause Kane is so good defensively as well. And still puts up good offensive numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scherzer and Nola, I think you could have a, a pitcher who gets the MVP this year. Um, especially, of course that's, you know, if, if they hit a losing streak, that's anything could change at this point. But, um, no, Nola's fifteen and three. Nola could what? He's got three more games left that he's probably going to pitch, if not four. No, he's got more. Now he's got six games. Yeah, he? yeah. They're going to run. Um, he could. I, um, yeah, he could at least six. He might even get a little more in there, depending on, I guess, if they give him any extra rest or something. But yeah, but I mean, both these guys still have a shot being twenty game winners. Mm-hmm. Um, if they hit twenty games and make the playoffs, having their their ERAs are all over, just being even with two, like a two point one three apiece. Their whips are outstanding. The strikeouts Scherzer's got insane. Um, I mean, I really think one of these guys right now, if you had to vote today, I'd say one of these guys is your MVP, but if the Cardinals keep going on the momentum that they're going, I think you have to give it to Carpenter 
as long as he keeps hitting like he is, mm-hmm. because th- this is Matt Carpenter who's done this for the Cardinals. He's leading the Cardinals, just not statistically, but emotionally into the playoffs. Yeah, I think you for sure have to look at it in those terms. Like, and I've always kind of been like that. Like, as the games transitioned into all like looking at this data, I'm always like, no, no, like let's give me the eye test. Like, look past these numbers and like tell me what's happening. And like, there's a, a pretty good common denominator when you look at like Carpenter. Baez and Nola like if I just take those three guys right now I remember before the season started Gabe Kapler was like we fully intend to make the playoffs like he proclaimed the Philadelphia Phillies we intend to make the playoffs and he was basically laughed at like I was like yeah right like they're not gonna make it and like all the rest of the world did too and they're there and Aaron Nola is a huge part of that because I don't know if there's another pitcher in baseball he makes seven innings pitched look so easy like it's not uncommon to look at a box score with Aaron Nola pitching and seeing seven innings four hits one run 95 pitches and you're just like well that's phenomenal because you've got this day and age where guys are going five and six innings just throwing hard getting strikeouts like throwing five innings and 110 pitches and having to get pulled and it's a lot of what Aaron Nola does is one like he's He's been a really good leader, like I would say, for the pitching staff. Obviously, Jake Arrieta helps out a ton. Um, I I question Jake Arrieta's leadership ability sometimes. I won't go into that, but I've watched a lot of Cubs baseball. But even like the um, the Phillies have other younger pitchers like Zach Eflin and Vince Velasquez who have pitched really good. And it goes back to what you said, like kind of like the Matt Carpenter effect. I always called it like the Peyton Manning effect where like you get guys around these guys and they just get a little better because – I think Peyton Manning had, like, Eli Manning. Like, how do you get two famous quarterbacks or Super Bowl winners in the same family? Well, it's, like, what you surround yourself with. And, like, Carpenter and Aaron Nola have both had that effect. And also, like, Aaron Nola, like, indirectly makes up for the Phillies not having a strong bullpen just by getting, like, that fifth start every day. Or, you know, like, every five days you get that start mm-hmm. and the bullpen gets most of a day off. And then, like, you kind of see that with Javi Baez, too, because Chris Bryant's missed a ton of the year. Anthony Rizzo got off to an absolute horrible start and the Cubs pitching staff who is supposed to be phenomenal is awful. Like there's not any Mm -hmm. one good thing about it besides like Cole Hamels now. And then John Lester's had a good season, but his peripherals have indicated that like it could go South real bad because he's striking out less guys. His velocity's down, fly balls are up all like all those sorts of numbers. Right. And it's like that with Carpenter, too, because I would say at the All-Star break, you would tell yourself, well, the Cardinals aren't – no, they weren't on anyone's radar at that point. I think they were at the beginning of the year, but then it was one of those things where it's like, this is how it's unfolding, so let's just talk about the Brewers and the Cubs because nothing's really irrelevant. I think uh, people were talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates more than they were the Cardinals at the beginning of the year. And then, yeah, they got rid of Mike Matheny, and all of a sudden, like at the same time, Matt Carpenter's taking steroid salsa and um, (laughs) like, I don't know what that stuff is, but like, I want to get it so I can be better in my life. Like I'd like to be better at my job. I'd like to be better looking, maybe have bigger biceps, maybe have better curly hair. Like I want to get my hands on that salsa. I would love to have Harrison. He's got full blonde curls. Like I just want to get this salsa just like to further improve my life. Like I imagine I'll never have to take an ibuprofen again. Mondays would be so much better. And like, Dude, it would just be the greatest thing ever. Like, I would just feel good and have a fuller beard. So, like, please give me that salsa. We've got to find it, man. Like, we've got to find that salsa. But but (laughs) for those reasons, though, I like those three guys because it fills in with that storyline of, like, they're doing 
they're on teams and that weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And all of a sudden now those teams late in the game are doing what they're supposed to do. And it's kind of because you got those guys making a difference. The only thing that keeps me from voting Scherzer is the guys around him like never came through. And when you talk, and that's really being hard on Max Scherzer because he's probably the best pitcher in the national league. Like if all pitchers are put in equal circumstances with equal rest, equal pitches, whatever. Um, but I can't help, like, if, you know, if you're telling me you've got to pick one, Nola or Scherzer, like, one pitcher that's going to win the Cy Young and be MVP, like, I'll go with Nola, hands down. But I think you've got a good point. This, I think, could very likely, or if if it's not likely, it should be likely, where your Cy Young winner is also an MVP, because those guys just meant so much to the team. Yeah, both because yeah, even though Scherzer's ball pen fail, has failed the national globally. Yeah. Um, but one thing I like about Scherzer, you talk about, we talked about that leadership of Javi Baez, Matt Carpenter. Scherzer will get out on the field with the batters. He's talking to the batters. He's encouraging you know what? the You're batters. right about that. He's You're trying, right. Yeah. He's trying to win. He doesn't just hang out with his pitcher buddies. No, he's out there all the time trying to inspire other players. Like you'll see Matt, or Matt Carpenter on the field when somebody does a great play. He's just, yeah. he's vocal about it. You know, he's, you know, just, yeah. You know, he, he's, he encourages his teammates. And if, and if there's one complaint I have with Chris Bryant, it's he doesn't have that. Javi Baez can have that. He's got that fire. And I think Javi Baez can be that leader yeah, in that yeah, way. Yeah. Um, but there, even though Carpenter is my – if I could have any player from the Cubs to take to the Cardinals, I'm taking Chris Bryant from yeah. you. I just got to think he's the most talented bat um, that they got. He's had a rough year, but injuries because of that. And mm-hmm. he's not bad defensively either, but – um, Baez is that, I think he's going to be that leader of that team. Um, and if the, if the Cubs are going to win another world series, Baez is going to have to be that vocal lead, that clubhouse leader yeah. I think, to get him there. Yeah. I know Hayward was that guy before. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, I don't, which I don't watch a lot of Cubs baseball. I don't know if, I don't know if Hayward's that guy this year. Um, anytime I see, I'm watching Cub highlights or anything, Baez seems to be that guy in the middle of everything. I think Baez has just taken over it with his play. Like he's kind of matured. Like he had a really wild bat, like growing up in his younger years. And then like all of a sudden now, like in 2015, he had almost 200 strikeouts each year. He's played his strikeouts have gotten down. His on base percentage really hasn't improved, but he's a guy that attacks like he, he, nobody swings more than him when there's no strikes so he is a guy like he the way he plays the game he doesn't hesitate and I think like Javi's turned into that guy not because Hayward stopped being that guy but because but because Javi Baez has just got more mature and he's a guy he doesn't hesitate he doesn't hesitate in the box he doesn't hesitate in the field like I don't believe no or can't is in his vocabulary I mean a guy that steals home and third base in situations where he shouldn't even try because his instincts are just there so that's why like when people laugh about like oh like you can't put Javi in that vote or like I was like pro Javi at the all-star game as opposed to Scooter Jeanette because of those intangibles. And again, I got pretty much roasted for it, but I was like, man, I, I watch him play every day. And like, you know, you've got a guy that he, nobody ever had to tell him how to play baseball. He just knows how to do it. And even Joe Madden's told him best. Joe Madden's like, I don't really do a lot of coaching on the guy because I don't want to coach anything out of him. And it's his aggressiveness and his confidence and just his 
his ability to just do what needs to be done is I think that's just what's rubbing off on the team. And that's why, like, I would really take him serious in an MVP vote because with all these Cubs that have faltered, whether it's Chris because of injury or Rizzo because just getting off to a slow start, man, Javi does things that, like, he's a, he's a weird hitter because, like, you know, the knock against him is his uh, on-base percentage, but he always figures out a way to get stuff done. Like, when he gets on base, he's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he got a ton of power. What he had a what a four eighty three or four eighty two today? Was, I think it was four eighty three. Man, it was nuts. Yeah, I think it's the second longest home run of the year, or is it the longest? It was the second you know, longest It was tied, it was tied for the second. Tied for the second. Yeah. And yeah, he's just uh, ugh, man. He's uh, he was he was. That's what happened when he was younger. He would just swing so hard, and I guess he just hadn't you know grown into his shoes yet or whatever. But yeah, I mean, he is a hard swing. He's batting two ninety five right now and slugging five seventy five. So like he only has an on base percentage of three twenty five, but he still keeps an OPS of like nine hundred right now, which is bonkers because that's just how hard he hits the ball. Yeah, average is what seven hundred OPS and like that seven twenty one seven something. His for his I career, believe. he's seven seventy six. His all well, his no, no, just major league, major league average. Oh, I major league baseball OPS yeah. is probably like low seven hundred. It's like seven hundred to yeah. seven twenty. Yeah, yeah. So he is still substantially above that. <laughs> but his defense um, is wild, man. And like one of the things I've hit recently is like Colton Wong is obviously like a crazy defender, like the stuff he does. And I'm torn between giving it to Javi Baez and Colton Wong because one of those two guys has to win the Gold Glove at second. Um, I don't, and I don't know what to do about that situation because the defensive metrics tell you Colton's better. You know? Um, yeah, but, you, but your inner Cub says the Cubs always win the award. <laughs> it, well, like that's what I was thinking about, and I was like, because I read this Colton Wong interview on the Athletic where he's like, "Look at this." Apparently, like um, baseball prospectus rated like I guess last year or maybe earlier this year on great defenders and their great tools and Colton Wong wasn't even in the conversation now I've watched enough Cardinals baseball to say well that's weird because he's like a top I mean he's the best defensive player maybe in all the National League right now and if he's not Harrison Bader is you know what I mean so like I know like he's getting no attention because he doesn't have a bat and so he has a point when it's like oh like there's a lot of popularity when it comes to picking a gold glove like you know Derek Jeter won five gold gloves he was never an elite defender and he won five of them no he no, he's got the most errors of any short. Isn't he the career leader at shortstop and errors he might be because he's not and he was never I'm about to check that but but I believe because he played a long career, but at any shortstop, he's got the most errors at the shortstop Dude. position. Anyway, and he won five gold gloves. Seven, I'm pretty sure that's Derek Jeter. Yeah. yeah, five gold gloves. His defensive war numbers—he's got a lot of negative. He's got a lot more negatives in a season than ever a positive. You're talking well, like well, negative Mike, one, negative two. Mike, Mike Schmidt dominated the '80s in the gold glove. He was an average defender, but his bat was so great yeah. they gave him give him that too. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but no, he didn't. He didn't deserve the the gold glove at second base. Mike Schmidt didn't. Probably not a single year. He was okay, but yeah. he was just okay defender. Um, but he's getting gold gloves, um, and that's just because he was a tremendous hitter. He was a team leader, popular yeah. in the sport. Um, so he gave it to him. Same way with Jeter. No, it's we'll give it to Jeter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's gonna, it's going to cost Colton Wong a gold glove. It's going to cost Harrison Bader gold gloves. Um, no, o- Osuna is the only guy in that outfield. Whenever, even when O'Neill's on the field, say O'Neill's on the field, Osuna is the weakest defensively of the three, and he's the only one with a gold glove. Yeah, that's but wild. he's got the best bat. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, of course the other two are rookies, but you know, um, I don't know if the O'Neill's got good enough that he may be able to get one one day. But Bader, him, I would take him defensively over any outfielder, and he's not going to get a go glove this year. And, and he's that- made more fantastic plays than anybody, and he's done it on. What about half the innings of the number two guy? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if Harrison Bader got it because last year I thought Yasiel Puig was going to get it, and both years that Hayward's been a Cub, he's got Gold Gloves and his bat's been awful. I feel like the outfield is recognized a little more than what the infield is because those plays just somehow seem to be more grandiose because you see like this long run versus like infield plays. I think we're numb to him because even like crappy infielders can like make a throw from their butt but it's a matter of like doing it consistently. So I think Harrison Bader could get one, but I don't, I'm so torn on the Colton Wong thing because like, I I just have to watch Colton Wong play more because I've just watched Javi do so many like weird defensive stuff where I'm like, huh? Like, how do he do that? You know what I mean? And so I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. like I'm trying to run a podcast and be pretty objective. So like, I'm wondering is that's like deep down my cub because I voted Jason Hayward to the all-star game. So I'm your worst nightmare (laughs) cub fan. Thank you very much. I did. Hell yeah, I put him in. Cause I was like that defense. I was like, I want Hayward and Ryan, dude. (laughs) Hell yeah. But I also voted Javi a second too, which I think was a good choice. But going for Hayward, like in right field, like maybe wasn't like my proudest moment, but like I had to do it because (laughs) I felt like Hayward needed my vote, man, because I wanted his bat to come around. So I was like, me and Hayward are friends. Hayward needs my five votes a day. So I would sit at work, clear out my cash on my history as much as I could to try to vote for Hayward as much as I could. And now he's hitting almost 280. So I think uh, maybe, you know, me trying to cheat the vote really helped him out a lot. Possibly. But Cub fans like all objectivity. Dude, it's Brave awful. fans are worse, though. Brave fans are worse. Primo. Because um, Dansby Swanson can't hit a lick. He was in... I watched Dansby <laughs> Swanson in AAA last year here in Charlotte because the whatever the Braves AAA team is, they come and play the Charlotte Knights. And I was like, he's in AAA. I was like, what the hell is he doing here? Because he can't hit a ball at all. But yeah, it was uh, <laughs> at one. I'm pretty sure at one point he may have finished. I have to check this out. But I know at one point he had more votes than Trey Turner, and he may have finished that way. Wait, who did? <laughs> Dansby Swanson. <laughs> Get out of here! That's no, I'm gonna look that up. If that's true, then we've yeah. all then they need to rethink the whole All Star Game vote because we've all got problems. Yeah, like, I need to check sure. into Baseball Anonymous. Like, uh, listen, I can't talk about baseball. I'm only a Cubs fan. Oh, dude, <laughs> come on, Google. Hopefully, that's still up and easy to find. Dude, do you want to know um, what my worst take is ever? I wrote an article that I said if you Darvish got put in the right system, he would win the Cy Young. So when he got to the Cubs, I was like, this is the perfect scenario. And so I really said that you Darvish would be in contention for the NL Cy Young. I said that. Like, I should cancel my podcast now because that's probably the worst thing I've ever said this whole season. <laughs> like, it's went south, man. I wouldn't have signed the guy, man. If I had known that he had thought about okay. retiring after the season because he didn't think he wanted to play baseball because he just didn't have fun, I wouldn't have signed him. Hey, let's, let's, let's look at these, subject, these objective voters from the Cubs and the Braves. Okay, bring it on. Trey, bring it on. Roast um, me now, man. Uh, Trey Turner didn't even make the top five in shortstop. Okay? That's wild. A- Addison Russell was third <laughs> with over a million votes. Addison Russell? Dansby Swanson was number two with nearly 1.2 million votes. <laughs> That's... 
Okay. Addison Russell? You said Addison Russell was third? Twice. Addison Russell's been batting. Oh, God. (laughs) That is the telltale sign of the Cubs (laughs) and the Braves having no objectivity. Go Addy. Yes. Go Addison Russell. All-star. My man. Dude, he made the all-star team in 2016 and didn't even have an OPS plus of 100. And uh, there were a lot of good shortstops, I think, that year, probably. But, uh, um, uh, all right. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to cut off the show. Oh yeah, let's close the show. To movies tonight. What are you guys gonna watch? And oh, it, it is that new Winnie the Pooh. What's it called, bud? Christopher Robin. Dude, enjoy the show, man. I'm probably gonna veg out here. I watched Tag last night. That comedy movie where they play the game of tag for 30 years. It was phenomenal. But um. I'll let you go, man. So, uh, dude, thanks for being on again. This is the greatest show on dirt. And, dude, have fun at the movies. And thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night. That was the show, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in to another week of The Greatest Show on Dirt. We hope you really enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. You can, you can listen to us on Spotify. <laughs> that made me really happy. We're on Spotify. I'm pretty sure we made it big because Drake, ever heard of him? He's also on Spotify, and that's where we're at. We're also on iTunes, Google Play. You can get us on Overcast FM, which is an app that lets you listen to podcasts, and Stitcher. But if you like the podcast, leave us a review. You can go on our Facebook page, leave us a review. You can go on iTunes or Google Play and leave us a review. And if you do leave us a review, do me a favor, screenshot that review. Actually, do yourself a favor, screenshot the review and send it to us, and we'll send you a couple Greatest Show on Dirt stickers. They're the greatest stickers that have ever been made. They're super durable. I put one on my cooler last weekend when I went out to the lake, drank a ton of Ham's beer. I didn't hold up, but the sticker did, my man. So get you a couple stickers. I'll mail you a few. Review us. Screenshot your review. Send it to us. I mail out two stickers free of charge. Put them on your car. Put them on your computer. Put them on the walls in your house. Anything that has a blemish. You know, a car ding from the shopping cart corral at Walmart because your wife or husband wanted you to park really close because they didn't want to walk and you got a shopping cart dent. Put a Greatest Show on Dirt sticker over it. Paintless dent removal? No thanks. I've got you taken care of. You have a ding in your wall from when you move that sectional up the stairs? Put a Greatest Show on Dirt sticker on it. I'll mail them to you. Thank you for listening to the show. You guys have a phenomenal weekend. Take care.